0: Good morning. It's uh, great to be here this morning. It's great to see everybody. There's several faces here that haven't seen in a while. Glad that you're here with us. If you're a visitor, we're uh, thankful for your uh, decision to worship with us this morning. We pray and hope that you'll come back and and join us. For the last several weeks, we have been uh, studying the book of Galatians. We've been looking at the letter that Paul wrote to the people there. And the issues that were going on there is there were these judaizing teachers that were perverting the the new covenant of christ and in the new life that christians were trying to lead by persecuting christians and also by trying to blend the old law with the new law and the new covenant of christ through christ and we pick up our study of the letter in in the fourth chapter of galatians in verse 21 so i'd like to Uh, read is just 10 verses here like to read what Paul writes here in this section of his letter he says tell me you who want to be under the law do you not listen to the law for it is written that Abraham had two sons one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman but the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh and the son by the free woman through the promise this is allegorically speaking For these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. Verse 27, he says, For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so it is now also. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. I think I... Okay, verse 31. Sorry. Uh, uh, this PowerPoint's really throwing me off. I, uh, not, uh... So if you, Paul begins uh, this set of, set of verses that we're looking at this morning by saying, all you people who want to be under this old law, or you people that want to blend the old law with the new law, have you really considered what the old law is? And then he does something pretty interesting. He uses a piece of their history to illustrate his point. He uh, calls this use of this story an allegory, and prior to uh, studying these verses, I had no idea what an allegory is, and uh, I've never been accused of being a vocabulary whiz, so I found the most basic definition that I could find. Uh, An allegory is simply a story in which ideas are symbolized by people to make a point or to draw an illustration. And in this case, Paul chooses a perfect example Of Sarah and Hagar to illustrate his point to the Galatians. If you'll remember, way back in uh, Genesis, Abraham was married to Sarah, and in in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham was complaining to God because he didn't have any children, and he was an old man, and he was worried that he wasn't going to have an heir. Uh, Last week, Jeremy talked about heirs and uh, what an heir was and the importance of having an heir and what that meant what that symbolized and Abraham is worried that he's not going to have an heir and I find it humorous that Abraham even uh, Abraham had a, um, a slave uh, called Eleazar and he said God is Eleazar going to be my heir you know the slave that was living in this house and he was really worried we can see from the text that he didn't have any children Sarah was barren and um, but God promised him that he would Uh, have a son or that he would have a child through Sarah but Sarah gets impatient and Sarah gives her handmaiden Hagar to Abraham to have a child with so that they may have children and after Hagar becomes pregnant there becomes a lot of contention between Sarah and Hagar Sarah begins to treat Hagar harshly and Hagar runs away and an angel comes to Hagar and uh, instructs her to go back and submit herself to Sarah and uh, to have uh, their son, who was Ishmael. So Hagar goes back, and uh, shortly thereafter, Ishmael is born. And 14 years later, Abraham is 99 years old. And God comes to him and tells him that Sarah is going to have a son. And something happens that I can't comprehend. Uh, Maybe it's because we're so far removed from this time and how they lived and we're so far removed today from how God interacted with Abraham and maybe somebody here can help me after this understand what happened next. The Bible tells us that Abraham fell on his face and laughed at God at God <laughs> after he told him that he was going to have a son by Sarah. Now I'll give it to Abraham's uh, you know he's 99. Sarah is 90 years old, but still he laughed at God. And Sarah tried that. In the very next chapter, um, she didn't, Abraham, I guess, got away with it. We don't see that Abraham suffered any consequences of laughing to God. <laughs> but in the very next chapter, uh, Abraham is outside of his tent, and and uh, he sees the, the Lord appears to him. He looks up and he sees three men, and so he rushes in, or he tells them, he says, you know, come come visit us, you know, and and uh, we'll make a meal for you and. And rest here, and then you can be on to wherever you're going. And he runs in and he tells Sarah, "Hey, make some bread up real quick." And you know they're getting food together. And and uh, outside the tent, uh, Abraham is talking to God, and, and God tells him that uh, that Sarah is going to have you know a son, they're going to have a child. And Sarah hears this inside, and she laughs. And God calls her out on it, and she said, "I didn't laugh." And he said, "No, you did." And so she she didn't get away with uh, laughing at God as Abraham did, but. <clears throat> Abraham, uh, back to uh, Genesis 15, Abraham uh, tells God, he says, I have Ishmael, I have Ishmael, my son from Hagar, let him be my heir. And God says, no, that's not good enough. And he rejects that, and he again promises them that he's going to have a son through Sarah. In chapter 21 of Genesis, we can read about the birth of Isaac. Isaac was the son from Sarah through the promise of God. And not long after the birth of Isaac, The drama between Sarah and Hagar heats back up. Sarah sees Ishmael mocking Isaac, and I don't know exactly what he did. I don't know how bad it was, but it was bad enough that it upset Sarah to the point where she had Hagar and Ishmael sent away. And you know, you have to feel a little bit bad for Ishmael if you read the story. I mean, you know, for 14 years, he was kind of the favored child. You know, he was kind of being set up to be the heir of Abraham. And then Isaac comes along and ruins everything. And several of you can relate to that. You have younger siblings that, you know, you're the only child and, and uh, or, or the baby, and then the next one comes along and ruins everything. So we have to feel a little bit bad for Ishmael. But who knows? Maybe he was a brat and he had it coming. I don't know. But what is important to note, is, as we start to look at Paul's allegory, uh, is that when Hagar and Ishmael are sent away, Ishmael loses his identity as the heir of Abraham and takes on the identity of his mother, who was a slave. That's important to note. Um, A quick side note that I just find really fascinating, I've always found really fascinating. There's a group of people in the world today that um, trace their lineage directly back to Hagar and and beyond, and uh, you know, when you look at the story of Sarah and Hagar, you know, I kind of feel like Hagar has a little bit of a grudge against Sarah throughout the entire process, but you know after she was sent away that there was probably a grudge there held for a long time, and in my mind, I don't know that this is really true, but there's a group of people that have really a grudge today, and it seems to me that they're holding the world's longest grudge that has ever been recorded. Islam traces their um, lineage back through around somewhere around six hundred A.D. Uh, we can, see, can read about what they who they consider their last prophet, and that was Muhammad. You're probably familiar with Muhammad; he was very radical, and uh, they um, but they trace uh, their lineage through Muhammad all the way back to uh, Ishmael and Hagar. And so I just think it's really interesting that today we can see, <clears throat> in my mind, almost like a little bit of you know the result thousands of years later of this event with Sarah and Hagar and the, the contention that was between the two of them. Don't know that that's really how it really is, but um, just an interesting, interesting side note. But getting back to our text and what we're considering this morning, verses 22 through 23 Again, Paul says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, one by the bondwoman being Hagar, and one by the free woman being Sarah. But the son of the by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. What do you think that means? What does it mean to be born according to the flesh? Ishmael was born because Sarah grew impatient, and <clears throat> Ishmael... Um, Ishmael and Sarah and Hagar had all kinds of contention because of that. But Paul is saying that Ishmael was born according to the flesh. In other words, he was born by what humans could produce with their own resources. And that, I believe, is why Ishmael was not good enough for God to be Abraham's heirs, because they did that on their own. Sarah, Abraham, and Hagar made that decision on their own. Isaac, however, Paul goes on to say, was born through the promise of God through Sarah. The promise that God made to Abraham <clears throat> um, and Sarah was that they would have a son, and that promise was fulfilled through Isaac. So you're starting to see this allegory that's starting to line up between the old law and Ishmael and the the uh, uh, new law through Christ uh, being represented by represented by Isaac. Continuing on verses 24. Paul says, and this is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. Why does he reference Mount Sinai in the present Jerusalem? What do you think that means? The law was delivered to the Israelites at Mount Sinai. And the Israelites really relied on themselves and their own resources to fulfill the law, and they couldn't do it. They could not keep the uh, old law perfect. And like Hagar, they bore children into slavery, into this old law. Paul brings the same parallel to the present by referencing the present Jerusalem. Jerusalem was uh, the hotbed of where these Judaizing teachers that we've been talking about for several weeks, where, where they were. And so he says that Mount Sinai and the present Jerusalem are the same, And these Judaizing teachers that he's arguing against relate to Hagar because they are living according to the flesh. They are trying to rely on themselves to be righteous rather than to accept the new promise and the new covenant through Christ. They were living under a broken and obsolete system that doesn't work because, again, it relies on imperfect people to be perfect and not on the promise of salvation through a new perfect life inside of Christ. Continuing on to verse 26, verse 26. Paul relates uh, the Jerusalem above as Sarah and reaffirms that through Christ we are heirs of the new covenant just as Isaac was the son of promise uh, that God made to Sarah and Abraham. In verse 27, Paul references um, Isaiah 54 in verse 1. And the barren woman he's talking about here is Sarah. And um, the desolate woman is Hagar, and I think that he's really using this prophecy from Isaiah, Isaiah to set up the next verse and talk about the persecution that the, the church was suffering during this time. Um, you know, Sarah, uh, the odds were really stacked against her. She was uh, advanced in age. She was barren. She didn't have children. The odds were against her, but the odds were, and the odds were in Hagar's favor. She was married. She was fruitful. She had Ishmael. But as we can see, as as it all played out, Sarah had, you know, was abundantly fruitful through Isaac, and Hagar was um, the, called the desolate one because they were cast out, and essentially, um, you know, known as um, she was a slave, and, and she continued that legacy after that. And so I think the relation here is the church. You know, the church at this time uh, was was in its infancy, infancy and it was. Um, you know, the odds were against the church. But as it had been prophesied, the church was going to grow and to flourish um, as it had been prophesied before. In verses 28 and 29, again it says, And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. Verse 29, he says, "But But as at that time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So it is now also. And so Paul is... Um, encouraging them about their suffering. Um, uh, Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. We know what Paul's building up to with this story, Uh, but here he plainly uh, makes the comparison for the Galatians, and he goes on to relate their present-day persecution from the Jews to the persecution that Isaac received from Ishmael. And again, I just, you know, can you imagine what it was like living in that household is when Sarah and Abraham and Hagar as this played out, you know, and um, can you imagine the, the disdain that Ishmael had for Isaac, and, you know, Ishmael was supposed to be the heir of Abraham, but when Isaac, the son of promise, came, he really wasn't needed anymore, and such is the case with the old law. The old law, for a long time, stood in place of what Christ was going to bring, and what now was at this time, so Paul relates that that persecution, and then in verse thirty and thirty-one, uh, or verse thirty, Paul encourages them about their suffering, by referencing by referencing Genesis twenty-one. And um, <clears throat> to me, you know, he's kind of using this verse uh, as an encouragement to them, and almost saying like, you know, these Judaizing teachers that are persecuting you, you know, we know how this played out, you know, so. Uh, not to get weary with, with your suffering. I, I think he almost kind of uses this verse like I've heard people use uh, the verse in Deuteronomy about uh, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says Lord. You know, when somebody really makes you mad, you want to get them back, and you just, you know, I've heard people say that. They're just all worked out, and they say, vengeance is mine, you know, I will repay, says the Lord. And I think that's kind of what Paul was uh, using this verse in place of here, is he's giving them an encouragement um, that... Um, that, uh, you know, they may be persecuted and they may be enticed by these Judaizers to cling to their conti- con- traditions, but that the old law was ultimately going to lead to separation, separation from God. And Paul concludes in verse 31 by reiterating the fact that we are like Isaac in that we were born and live under the promise of life through the salvation in Jesus Christ. So, I think that by now in our study of Galatians, we have well established the fact that you and I today are not being persecuted or tempted by Judaizing teachers. Um, When we look at the old law, uh, all I have to do is look at the uh, restriction about eating pork and all the temptation is gone. There's no temptation for me to uh, revert back to the old law as they were having problems with here so what application could we draw from Paul's allegory here? I think the theme here is that we can learn from is the freedom that we find in Christ versus the futility of a life outside of him. Paul stresses over and over in his letter that these traditions that they're struggling with are useless. They have no meaning. But not only that, they lead to destruction. They lead to separation from God. Now I've heard many times um, there was at one point there was kind of this this buzzword or buzz phrase that was kind of going around and, and I st- we still hear it a lot today or we say it. and It's the right attitude and that is that God is in control and that's really you know the the uh, the outlook and that, that's that's you know what we should uh, 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 what, what we should think. But you know it, there is an element of if we want to be in control we can be in control. We can be in control of our own destruction. And that is exactly what the Judaizing teachers that they were struggling with this time and that Paul is arguing against were doing. We have the option to be an Isaac type or an Ishmael type. Ishmael didn't really have a choice to be born into the situation that he was born into. He was just kind of a product of Sarah and Hagar and Abraham's decisions. But you and I, we have the freedom to choose the freedom that Christ offers Christ offers a freedom and a way through the promise that God made to us a long time ago and still is today. So today, choose to be an Isaac type and to accept the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ. My hope this morning is that I've related this allegory of the two sons in a way that is clear and uh, easy for you to understand. If there's any way the church can help you this morning, I ask that you come as we stand and sing.